0: The following Living Writers interview with Rebecca Sherm was taped last January. However, Rebecca Sherm is in Ann Arbor. She will be appearing, reading and signing books this evening at Literati Bookstore at 7 o'clock.
1: afternoon. You've Got Living Writers. I'm Tia Hetzel. You're listening to WCBN-FM and Arbor. And today I'm so happy to have in the studio, Rebecca Sherm is here. Rebecca, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I love this show. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for coming, coming down to the studio, braving the cold weather. And, um, and on this wonderful occasion, because your, your debut novel... Unbecoming, Mm -hmm. um, what a great title, I guess we can (laughs) talk about that later, (laughs) is about to launch. Um, Your first, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your first reading and the book launch will be at Literati on January 27th. January 27th. So mark your calendars, folks, because Rebecca Sherm will be there with her novel, Unbecoming, Literati, 7 p.m.
2: 7 p.m. And I'll be, I'll be reading to um, all of these friends and teachers and colleagues who have supported me so much throughout writing this novel. And I just, I expect that reading to feel something like a
0: wedding. Actually, Rebecca Sherm will be reading this evening at Literati at 7. This is a taped interview. Some sort of yeah. a way, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Or maybe.
2: maybe. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, I, that's the reading that I, when I think about the tour and all the readings, I just see sort of that one over and over again. And really,
1: I just want to thank people for an hour. But I'll, <laughs> I'll read from the book, too. Well, you know what, before we go any further, I'll just read your short bio that's found on your website. And so everyone, you can check it out. You can go to Rebecca Sherm's website um, and learn more about the novel. We're going to be talking about it for an hour. So I guess you're going <laughs> to learn about it here, too. So don't go away just yet. Um, but without further ado. Rebecca Sherm is a graduate of New York University and the Helen Zell Writers Program at the University of Michigan, where she currently teaches. Her work has appeared in Fiction Writers Review, Jezebel, The Toast, and The New York Times. She lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So again, welcome, oh, thank uh, you. Rebecca, and congratulations. Thanks. Um, so this book. So you mentioned that there are going to be these people at Literati at your, at your uh, book launch mm-hmm. and the first reading um, that have been I- important in this whole the process. When when you came to Michigan for the program, was this was unbecoming? already, um, was it a germination of an idea or did you already have some chapters or what was your, what was your, yeah, I (laughs) didn't have anything.
2: Um, I was, I was writing short stories at that time and I knew I wanted to write a novel, but I had a very different idea for what that novel would be. And, um, I realized over the first few months here that I kept thinking about writing my own version of The Laurie Moore novel who will run the frog hospital which is one of my favorite novels and I and I just kept spiraling back on this idea and it got sadder and sadder because I realized I didn't want to write my own version of Who Will Run the Frog Hospital. I wanted to write Who Will Run the Frog Hospital. And what's the point of that? And I sort of realized I had to let go of this idea that I was going to write like a, like a novel can be a cover, like a song can be a cover. I had to let go of this oh. idea of covering Lori Moore. <laughs> because, oh. you know, I mean that's something that graduate students do is they cover Lori Moore.
1: <laughs> well, get, well, she's amazing. Friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but also like amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, it,
2: once I let go of um, that first idea about you know, the the breakup of a girl friendship. Um, this idea for Unbecoming didn't feel so much like a single idea as a single idea as it felt like um, a stew that I had been sort of unconsciously brewing for a decade. I love that, a stew. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've heard writers talk about um, all of the influences and the you know, p- particulate matter that you pick up out in the world um, in terms of quilt squares and in terms of um, like weaving a- strings into a nest. Um, but for me, it's so muddled and unconscious that it's something more like a m- big, ugly, messy stew.
1: Yeah,
0: it's, it's sort of bubbling a bit yeah. there too. So it's active, yeah.
1: it's,
2: it's fluid. Yeah, and I guess um, around December of my first semester here, the end of my first semester here was when it started to assert itself It started to sort of burble. (laughs) And I, and I started it, um, I guess
1: I started it in November, December
2: when I got here. And so it was sort
1: of this in the back of your mind, you, well, you've been writing the stories, um, but you want, you did, you wanted the novel in some way you wanted to sort of enter into the landscape of that.
2: Yeah. I never thought that I was, um, short stories are so difficult yes they're so they're so difficult and i knew even well and uh, not to say that the novel was oh i think writing i i think writing a novel is easier for me than writing a short story i've heard who was it i it might have been jennifer egan someone um a a writer i love was talking about the difference between writing short stories and writing novels and she was saying that writing a short story is like I, i hope it's jennifer egan um it's like pulling off a perfect card trick. Um, and that, that um, it has to be perfect. There's no room. Right. There's no margin for error. And when you're writing a novel, you can go over it again and again. You can just keep combing it out again and again. And it only gets better, um, I think. And you can want, spend years wandering around in the dark with it. Whereas I have a lot of short, short, uh, short stories that are... I just don't think they're ever going to grow up in that same way. They're a little I needed to write them in order to write a novel, but they're not. They're
1: not what I'm here to write. So, yeah. so you're thinking because it seems like your next project is is it called Beta? Yeah. That, yeah. And and also a novel then.
2: Yes. I I think um I I think I'll probably only write novels from here on out.
1: Well, no, don't you don't have to. I don't. Know. Let's not like no. Yeah, not, I shouldn't say that. No, right. I won't let you <laughs> say it. No, <laughs> right. not just, on
2: living writing. No no, 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 no. Well, here's the reason, though. Here, and it's not the reason that you think or that people might think. The reason is that to be uh, to write short stories, I think you should be really, truly splendid at writing short stories. And there are so many writers I know and love who are extraordinary at writing these short stories. I am not extraordinary at writing short stories. Let they need they need to write the stories, right? It's hard enough to get people to read stories. Let's please have people only read extraordinary stories. <laughs>
1: And I can give them a hundred (laughs) recommendations. Well, well well said, well said. But sometimes I was just, I guess the reason why I was saying Mm -hmm. that, Rebecca, is more just because, because you never know what something needs to be or what it, what it wants. That's true. And so, yeah, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure just meeting you this few moments anyway, I'm sure you would realize what you'd let it be whatever something was going to be anyway
2: so oh, and okay. this book and the next book have they were um they've both been exercises in metamorphosis and transformation and they they change shape formally and they change shape um yeah. thematically all the time it's like all i can do to keep up with them so
1: what was what's the origin story of unbecoming was it an image that came to you did you watch to catch a thief did you <laughs> yes. on the, like
2: the film I, and I'm then <laughs> <laughs> um this is this is embarrassing um I'm glad that you asked about it, though it's true. Um, so I, and I think a lot of people know this about me now because I've been writing about it lately. But I grew up watching Alfred Hitchcock movies, and especially um, the three movies he made with Grace Kelly. And as a child, I was obsessed with Grace Kelly, like to to an unnatural degree. Um, I don't know how natural it is for a <laughs> nine year old girl to be obsessed with Grace Kelly, um, but I was reading her. I read her biographies, um, and. I think there, was, there were a lot of reasons that I was drawn to her um, and her th- seen through the eyes of Alfred Hitchcock in particular. But what happened is that I loved Rear Window so much and I watched it, I don't know, probably 50 times between 9 and 15. And I took up To Catch a Thief and I watched it the same way, but it's not a great movie. <laughs> It's it's very stylish and it's very pretty and it's very funny. Um but it doesn't there's nothing about it that's going to wrench your guts out in the same way that Rear Window does a thousand different ways. Um and I looking back on watching To Catch a Thief in my childhood, I wonder if I was watching it over and over again because I wanted it to be different. Um because I wanted it to do something that it wasn't doing. And the reason that I think this might be the case is because in the long period of time that I didn't watch the movie, say from 14 to 26, I totally misremembered it. I made up a different version of the movie. Um, In my version of To Catch a Thief that I really thought was the real version, Francie, the Grace Kelly character, and Roby, the Cary Grant character, run off and become jewel thieves together. And that's how I thought that the movie should end, and so that's how I remembered that it did end. That's how I remember. It. Well, I'm really sorry to spoil it for you. No. That is not how it ends. Right. Um, here's how it ends. Uh, Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, for this movie that came out in 1955. Right, and of years ago. Uh, Francie and Robey, uh settle down and become law-abiding citizens, and Francie's mother moves in with them.
1: <laughs> I mean, and she's a spitfire, but she's the best character <laughs> but, by far. Yeah.
2: But I think, like, so in this, in that space of, um, you know, b- before I finally watched it again, I was writing this book and I was writing the, the the Hitchcock film that I wished I had seen or that I believed that I had seen. And I was throwing all of this other stuff into it and, and all of, trying to understand all these psychological knots. But then um, I remember telling my agent that the book was like To Catch a Thief. And she, on the other end of, of the line... Um, I could just sort of hear this, what what? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I watched the film with my husband that night. Um, and I was so embarrassed because I've I'd been running around saying, Oh, it's like to catch a theme. It's like and it's 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 not. It's, it's the movie I wish that it had been.
1: <laughs> and that is actually lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Because mm. <laughs> an Alfred Hitchcock is long dead, isn't he? Yeah. So it's not like he's listening right now. No. He's like,
2: Rebecca, <laughs> this woman in Michigan doesn't like my film.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's not he how he just, talks. <laughs> it was very good impression. That's <laughs> um, true. He's kind of... I don't know. You don't want to get on the wrong side of Alfred. Oh, no. Um, it sounds bad. We'll, you know what? We'll, 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 we'll take a short break after um, uh, just one more, th- just another, um, just to mention to folks again, Literati mm-hmm. on January 27th. Rebecca, you'll be there. Rebecca Sherm will be there with her novel, Unbecoming. It's going to be great the, the cat to catch a thief that should have been or so. <laughs> yeah that could be one of the many taglines right okay I'm T Hetzel today on the program Rebecca Sherm is here um, we've you've got living writers we've got text in the engineering seat thanks for all you listening out there we'll be right back <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: to downstairs in the bar, and her, your rolled-up sleeves and your skull T-shirt. You said, "Why did you do it with him today?" You snip me out like I was because 'Cause you're my fella, my guy. Hell me, yo, stellar and fly. myself like I knew I, I would I told you I was rubble you know that I'm now good upstairs in bed with my ex-boy he's in no place but I, I can't get joy thinking of you in the final throw and this is when my buzzer goes outside to make your tips and pants up. You say when we marry it, cause you're not bitter, there'll be none of him no more. I cry for you on the kitchen floor, I cheated myself.
1: Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel today. Rebecca Sherm is here. Rebecca writing writing the novels, choosing the music for today's program. <laughs> We've got her her debut novel Unbecoming on the table. And Rebecca, why these songs that we're hearing oh, today?
2: Well, these are um, all five of these songs are songs that were in some way an inspiration for the character for Grace. Um, And I would try to warm my way into her head any way that I could. Um, But they also, of course, became my background music as I was writing. Um, I know that a lot of writers prefer to write with instrumentals or something like that. Not me. I like to write with um, music that I know really well. And I'll listen to... I, I i'll listen to amy winehouse all day long for a week because i just sort of get into a, a zone with her and then i need her to keep going and it just becomes part of the environment and the feel is, yeah it? it helps me with the mood trying to get the mood of the book um yeah that that amy you know i'm no good is my favorite amy winehouse song because i think that and it's so important for that character. Um, She's she's telling she's telling someone that she's bad and she means it. And I think that we see this trope especially in movies and in popular music of women telling uh people especially men that they're bad as some sort of little trick. Yeah. Um or as they if they things more exciting. Right, right, as if they didn't really mean it or as if they were only a little bit bad, but I think that when Amy Winehouse sings that song um I think that she's trying to get someone to believe her. And so much of writing this character was about exploring someone who... um, The redemption for her is that she learns to accept all the badness in herself, which is a very strange kind of redemption for a book, and it's something that I think some readers will struggle with, but it was really the reason I wrote it. I mean... And when did you, yeah, when did you know that? I, I knew that right away. I mean, it sort of ties in with that to catch a thief idea that um, I wanted to write about, I wanted to write about a woman who was very charming and who was raised, you know, in the sort of Southern polite environs that I was raised in. Um, And I knew that she needed to get away with it in one way, but not the other. And readers are, and I include myself in this group, readers are trained by all the novels that we read and the movies that we watch um, to expect narratives where when people do terrible things, they either reform, and that's the redemption.
1: Yeah, and the transformation.
2: Yeah, the transformation. Um, I always think of um, recently the The movie American Hustle, which I really loved until the last ten minutes, when spoiler alert, oh. they <laughs> settle down and open an art gallery together.
1: Oh. I haven't seen. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's still a
2: great movie. Um. But Don't watch the last
1: ten minutes. Yeah, you should Does just it stop just feel it? like it's not genuine. Like they just yeah. like muscled something in there that wasn't. That
2: was what that, that was more palatable. And so there's there's either that redemption um, through through becoming good or acting like you're good, or being punished. And I wanted to write a book about a woman who did bad things, and it didn't have either of those endings. And that was so important to me. Um, How do you pull a character through that and have the punishment that she feels come from within? Right, because there's cost. There's great cost. There's great emotional cost. But, you know, in real life, everybody doesn't settle down and open an art gallery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and invite their mother-in-law to move in. Um, I think the truth is a little dirtier than that.
1: Yeah. Darker. You know, darker. Yeah. Definitely. Like
2: that uh, Fiona Apple song, Criminal, which I remember hearing for the first time when I was, I how old was I? I was probably 11 or so. I'm not sure. But hearing that song when you're when you're an 11-year-old girl is terrifying. Um that kind of sexuality and shame that she has in that song, um, I remember being really frightened of it, um and attracted to it at the same time. And um I think that was that was something else that I was trying to sort of deal with in the novel. Um, that point in a young woman's life when her own sexuality seems threatening to her.
1: And conf yes. Yeah, I don't confusing. know. Confusing yeah, but in a way that's mm-hmm more because it's dangerous yeah the or world st- is
2: telling you that you possess some quality before you understand what it is
1: it's alarming <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when you okay there's a so many things this is a this is great The this character uh, grace that that you create um is it also sort of a nod to Grace Kelly? Then, oh, of course too? Is that um, yeah. was that intentional or just yeah. subconsciously? Okay. I mean it was it
2: was intentional as a nod to her and it was also intentional as a sort of um, sort of a way to, to kind of prickle the reader about how we think about the idea of grace and what grace means. Um, I think it sort of sets you up to expect a redemption and yes my book what i'm arguing and i and i really think the book has a lot of arguments in it and one of them i think i'm making is here is a kind of redemption that maybe we haven't considered the redemption of just knowing yourself
1: um even as awful as she is yeah. amen yeah to that <laughs> yeah so how um so it seems like You, so from what you've even said here, um, Rebecca, it's even, you knew something about grace from the very beginning and you had intentions for what you wanted for her. Yeah. So when she started building sort of like, well, not building, that's not, but when she, when she started, when you've got further into Mm -hmm. the pages, like you've spent, it's November, it's December, Mm -hmm. it's the next January. So you're spending this time with this character. Yeah. Right. Um, Well, so you were okay. You were like, she's an unreliable narrator, too. And in the
2: beginning, she was even more unreliable. Well,
1: the first line really shows us this.
2: And that became important. Um, I remember workshopping the first maybe 40 or 80 pages um in a novel workshop and I don't recommend that. I think that you should hold on to your novel longer uh yes. and keep it private longer and maybe you don't workshop it just right away. Um but you know, it was what I was working on and I had to turn in something and that was right. what I had. Um but at that point the novel was still told in the first person. Um and that because of that Grace couldn't tell you that she was a liar and it was doing something gross that i didn't that i didn't intend where the, the it was tricking the reader um it was as if grace was tricking the reader and in a book where um i wanted the reader to eventually understand her it there needed to be some sort of strange triangle where grace could trick the reader but i wouldn't or um the reader and i the narrator would try together to get to the bottom of her right yeah we needed another we needed a a voice of truth to just sometimes rein it in a little bit and then i moved it into third person and it was after that workshop yeah was it yeah and it was because of that workshop also that um that line about grace being a liar just moved up further and further and further until it was the first line of the book Um, It's like, how fast do I need to tell readers that she's a liar? Well, um, I think early on I did it at the end of the first chapter and then I would move it up and move it up and move it up. And then finally Mm. I realized, wait, this is the most central piece of information in this whole book.
1: Right. Just lead with that. Just start with that. Yeah. And how bold is that too?
2: Well, I was really, um, my first line was really inspired by the first line of a book that I love, um, A Judgment in Stone by Ruth Rendell and, um, a Judgment in Stone, I would say that this book, from Unbecoming for Me, has sort of three patron saints, three guiding lights. Who are they? Um, a Judgment in Stone by Ruth Rendell, um, which is a very chilly murder mystery where she tells you everything in the first sentence. The first line of that book is, Eunice Parchman killed the Coverdale family because she could not read or write. That's some
1: first line. Yeah, she
2: tells you who did it and who she killed, <laughs> and pretty. I mean, she tells you every and why. And then the book becomes a psychological study, and the the suspense of
1: it is just what, what does that mean? And that's what you were more interested in, yeah, as well for your book,
2: exactly. Yeah. So who are your other patron saints? Um, are the books rather. the books? Yeah. And it's funny because it's not really writers; it's just these books. Um, the second one is *Endless Love* by Scott Spencer. Um, which I think uh, you're going to love it or you're going to hate it, but I think everyone should try it. Um, It's very dear to me. I will warn you that it has something like a 75-page sex scene in it that is grisly. (laughs) Um,
1: Not usually the first adjective. (laughs) No. um,
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not, I don't know, it's not the English patient. Um, But um, that book is um, about obsession, and it's about um a young man who is obsessed with his, they're, they're teenagers and he's obsessed with his, his his girlfriend but he's also obsessed with her family and grace's um obsession with riley's family in the book is different is different from the one in unless love certainly um especially because grace's obsession is really centered on his mother mrs graham um you know i would i would to me that's the most profound love story in the book Um, and so Endless Love was a way for me to, uh, Endless Love sort of showed me that it's okay to obsess and to, um, to, to show, to, to allow your character to obsess in the way that she would, to circle back on things, to, um, to argue with herself. Well, and that is so human. Yeah. That's how we are. And then the third one is, um, In the Lake of the Woods by Tim O'Brien. Oh, um, okay, okay. And that one so was also recommended. the
1: Mert, the Mert. Mur- mur- so yeah,
2: okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, and it, that's so funny to say that because all three of these books have major crimes in them, oh, major. and yeah. I never thought of myself as writing, I didn't realize I was writing a, a crime book at all. Right. That was a total accident. Um, the whole, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the whole heist. Oh, yeah, I nice just, to it. me that, to me that's sort of like the scaffolding for the psychological, yes. yeah. for the psychological investigation. And so it is. Yes, and so yeah. it is. Yeah, and The Lake of the Woods was recommended to me, um, or was assigned actually in a class here um, by Eileen Pollack when I was a graduate student. Great, a yeah. friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, she's she's uh, my hero. She's great. She's helped me a great deal. And that book is very. Um, it's a book that you argue with your friends after you read it about what really happened and what you think happened, and what you think happened
1: ends up being a reflection of sort of how you see the world and how you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm also such an interesting layer then yeah what do you think and so it almost sounds like even how people talk about the character grace is in part how they're willing to see the world too
2: i even i mean it's the book isn't even out yet and i already get the feeling sometimes that when people talk about grace they're revealing a lot about themselves right yeah. How much of her you can tolerate, I think, maybe indicates sort of a, a di- just a, a different levels of comfort or discomfort with um, people telling ugly truths.
1: Yeah. And all of Grace's ugly truths. And maybe also, especially, they have some gender uh, things happening. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. It's, the fact that it's a... A female character. I really that has an ugly truth. I really thought that the
2: likable female characters debate was over. I, I thought that I was gonna sort of cruise in after that big wave of debate. Um, that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Be prepared to surf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And Eileen, I remember Eileen telling me that when she first read a draft oh. of the manuscript, saying like, "You're gonna have a, she, I think she said, "You're gonna have a wild ride with this." Um get, get ready. Some people, some people aren't going to go with you here. And some people are really going to love that you went here. And, um, and I mean, that was never a choice that I made because that was always the reason that I wrote the book. Yeah. It's just, it's part of the origin story. Yeah. Right. That was never negotiable. And there have been a couple people, um, over, I, I remember talking about it early on with my agent and she just sort of wanted to double check.
1: Like, And you're sure this is how you want it to end?
2: (laughs) Yes. Keep
1: thinking about it. (laughs) Today on Living Writers, Rebecca Sherm is here. Her novel, her debut novel, Unbecoming, um, will be available at Literati and everywhere January 27th. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Rebecca Sherm is here in the studio. We've got Unbecoming on the table with us. You know, Rebecca, would you mind reading some of it? Oh, for sure. Because yeah. um, we've been, t- I don't know. Are you going to read from the first page? I'm going to read from the okay. beginning. All right. Because I'm so glad not to um, twist your arm, but, um, but since we've been talking about it, that would be yeah. lovely. Yeah, uh,
2: this is exciting. I think this is my first, um, this is really my sort of my first public reading of the book. This is exciting. It's a living
1: writer's, <laughs> yeah. you know, d- debut as well. That yeah. um, yeah.
2: Okay. Well, um, thanks for being here. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. Okay, this is Unbecoming. Chapter 1. The first lie Grace had told Hannah was her name. Bonjour, je m'appelle Julie, Grace had said. She'd been in Paris for only a month, and her French was still new and stiff. She'd chosen the name Julie because it was sweet and easy on the French tongue, much more so than Grace was. The best lies were the simplest and made the most sense, in the mind and in the mouth. These lies were the easiest to swallow. Jacqueline, the boss, had shown Grace to her work table, abutting Hannah's, and where to store her tools in the jars along the center crack, what she could borrow, what she would need to procure herself. Hannah had reached out to cover a jar of picks and pliers. I don't share these, she'd said with a taut smile, like someone forced to apologize. When Grace sat down on her spinning stool a few minutes later, Hannah asked where she was from. Grace was so obviously American. California, Grace said, because most people already had ideas about California. They didn't ask you to explain it to them. Grace hated lying, got no joy from it, and this was how she knew she wasn't pathological. But California satisfied people so easily, even in Paris. Garland, Tennessee, where Grace was really from, was a confusing answer that only led to more questions. Tennessee? Hannah might have started. Elvis? Pequeno? Hillbillies? Hillbillies? When Grace had lived in New York, everyone who asked her where she was from followed her answer with the same question, what's that like? As if her journey from somewhere as tiny and undistinguished as Garland had required a laborious transformation, as if getting from Garland to New York City had been some kind of pilgrimage to the first world. Grace had been in Paris for two years now, and she had been Julie from California since her arrival. Her life was conducted entirely in French, another kind of disguise. She and Hannah seldom discussed anything deep in the past, and when the conversation took an unwelcome turn, they quickly righted themselves. Facing each other across their tables, they hunched over their antiques and talked of busted hinges and gouged veneer. Not sorrow or worry. Not home.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. You're welcome. Oh, Thank you. It's, it's so great to hear you reading it, too. And it's so funny, like, funny moments, and then also moments where you're like, oh, they talk about veneer, like these moments where you're like, Ooh, you know, what are we going to learn? It should be chilly. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So what was it like then, um, working with maybe the genre of suspense? Like what, like what sort of planning does that go, or are you sort of following the story yeah. as it's writing or what? You know, I just, I didn't know that I was writing a
2: suspense novel until I'd already written one. And so I think, I think that I was following the story. And I, my, if my guiding lights were these books that um, are in some ways suspense novels, then I was certainly influenced by them. And Ruth Rendell, of course, mostly writes um, detective procedurals, although A Judgment in Stone isn't, isn't one. Um, and I think that, for me, the moments when I felt the greatest suspense as a writer... Um, the moments when my heart sort of caught in my chest or when I was worried or when I started to sort of get sweaty as I was writing, um, are the moments of emotional suspense. Um, There's the moment when Grace runs into Mrs. Graham and her mother in the drugstore, um, and that was very hard. I felt I I had to sort of get up and walk around outside after that because as, as I was writing it, I sort of took more and more of Grace on. Um, and we're very different. We're as different as we could be. And yet in writing her, I sort of have to have, it's like she's on my shoulders or something like that. Well, and you care about her. I'm invested in her. Yeah. And so that moment, and then of course the moment when Mrs. Graham confronts Grace about the money is the hardest scene that I've ever written. Um, I was very upset by it, and I had to take lots of breaks, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, writers well, you know, I'm sure that so many have told you that about the scene that was the hardest for them to write, and why that is, and I think it's that moment where you knew you had to you knew you had to put this character through something really hard, and that moment is here, and you don't want to do it to him,
1: but then you do you have because to because it is actually the truth of this,
2: yeah. Yeah, and that that scene is um is so important to, I mean that's a, a watershed moment for Grace, um, and in some ways that's what turns it into a suspense novel where we go where we go from that moment.
1: I think that it's kind of amazing that um, that you're. Uh, that well, because I'm pictured, so now I've got I'm picturing you at your your work table or so. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I've got a, mm-hmm. an image and it's some nice natural light coming in. Rebecca, you'll be glad to. Hear. <laughs> that sounds very <laughs> nice, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, time. but but it is this sense of because it's so interesting that this is what we because I was completely not expecting that I thought you were going to talk about even some moments of like orchestrating plot or like oh. we're gonna move her to she's yeah. moved to Prague mm-hmm. and then we're gonna we're gonna go back in time to look at her grow up with, um, you know, like back in pre high school or, yeah. or so, you know, yeah. and how do you, uh, I mean, there's that too, but no, I love, I love what you like, yeah. said better. <laughs> that's definitely, yeah. that's glorious. But what, what about those moments? Like, did you, when you were writing it, was this sort of a natural structure that happened? No, or? Oh, no. Okay. there's
2: nothing natural. <laughs> Unless you are naturally a criminal mastermind, there's nothing natural about writing a novel with a crime in it. It is so difficult. Um, and I learned that I have no, I can't be a criminal mastermind. I have terrible instincts for, for what to do in the, in, the moment of, in the moment of getting caught or not getting caught. Um,
1: how did you learn that? Like, did, so did you write something? And then you're like, this doesn't seem
2: right. Yeah, or I would seem... write it. And then like a few days later, I would read it and i like, oh, that, that never would have worked. Um, and in the end, what I had to do is I made a giant map. Um, you know, I got one of those huge pieces of paper from Hollanders, and I taped it uh, over over my table. Um, and I made an outline, an elaborate outline that was color-coded um, with what, what sort of different events were thematically about. Like, well, this is about um, trust, or this is about sex, or this is about envy, or this is about um, expertise. Um, and I would sort of code things that way and then go through the model. And then I, uh, through the model that way with lines drawn between things to make sure that I reconnected them later. And, um, it got very elaborate and I kept that outline up and used it. And I only did it in pencil because I was always changing it until, um, about three quarters of the way through the book. And then I didn't need it anymore. Then I, then I didn't have any outlines. I didn't have any, I didn't need anything. I just knew what was going to happen after that. Because you were in it, I was. I was in it, and and at that point, the novel moves so fast um, that I was. I could just run along. Could just run along with it. Um, but all of the all of the plotting of the of the heist um, and moving Grace back and forth through time and space. Oh, that's intricate. That is
1: the. <laughs> but you knew it had to happen in a yeah. way. Well, because you said actually that for, for the early draft, um, the scene that you read for us was actually much later. So it was, maybe it was some different chronology was happening then.
2: I tried lots of different chronologies. Um, I did try to tell it straight through and I have been accused by friends of not being able to tell a story straight through. Um, and that may be true. Seems like a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't done it yet, but I I could, I could, I could, I know it. Um, (laughs) And I, I mean, I tried lots of different chronologies, um, tighter braids than this one, um, longer, longer segments. Um, and in the end, I think that the thematics of what Grace is dealing with in Paris determine sort of how big the backstory would be uh, in those moments. That if I would try to go with her natural triggers instead of forcing. Um, uh, well, I've had this many pages in Paris, and now we, we need to go back to we need to go back in time. That's not going to work. That's too artificial. Um, but I would wait, and I would follow her in Paris until something happened that would shake her up, or that would shake her back into the past, and just go with that. So that some of the chapters um, are are very different lengths, and I I just I had to go with her obsessions or with the way that her mind worked for it to be natural.
1: And when you said that you got to the the three quarter mark of the, is that like sort of the drafting process of it still, or or do you yeah. mean like the novel like the novel as it is now? Sorry to be I, now, I feel oh, like no. I'm. Like,
2: um, <laughs> you're like I have to. Why think about are these that. so specific? No, no, <laughs> no. no. I, have to,
1: I I love hearing other writers talk about
2: how the nuts and bolts of how they, especially a novel, just because you spend so long with it, like yes. how they get through it. Um, I wrote. The first... I wrote all the way through. I wrote straight through. Um, and I kept messing with the outline um, until the three-quarter three, more, three quarter mark into my third draft, probably. Um, so that outline would die and then come back to life and then die and then come back to life with each draft. Um, but my strategy... And I don't remember if someone told me to do it this way or if I just figured out that this was how I needed to do it... Um, Anybody who's starting a novel will tell you, you know, you obsess and loop back on those first 80 pages until you've just beaten them into mush. Um, You can't do that, or I can't do that. Um, I have all kinds of bizarre tricks to keep myself from looking backward. But, like, keep moving You have to move forward. I have to move forward. Um, I can't look back. I know that everything back is crap, and I'm going to have to fix it all and change it all. But I have to keep moving forward. And then when I would get to the end, I would put the whole thing away. I would not read it. I would put the whole thing away for a month. Um, The first time I put it away for two months. And I worked on other projects, I wrote short stories, I wrote essays, um, just to have fresh eyes. And I went through that cycle several times. Um, I would never, ever, ever get to the end and then go back to the beginning right away. Um, That was a surefire way for me to get really confused about
1: and you just, but you knew that, Rebecca. Yeah. You kind of sensed it. When, yeah. And when did you, when did, was it something like, when did you know to go back to it? Was it because you said a month or maybe even two months, like for distance? I
2: wasn't waiting for a feeling. I had it on my calendar. Really? Like, you can't look at it for 60 days, you can't look at it until September 15th. Um, I don't have extraordinary personal discipline, so I really have to write things down <laughs> and then agree with yourself to follow yeah, the calendar yeah. that I can do that I can do I yeah. think that's a great idea. it really helped a lot it really helped a great deal. I would see things um I would just see things so much more clearly when I went back after a long time away um and i and i would and I had an understanding like I would have fixed this the wrong way. I would have broken this in a different way if I had been up to my armpits in the same in
1: these same five pages all that time right because it changes the headspace doesn't it yeah like that what we were talking about with that human nature to circle back or circle into something yeah that can be it damage it makes something not what it is yeah and I would um I would always try to I I mean I I think I learned this
2: early on because I would try to solve something on page seven that I had forgotten that I solved on page two Um, I mean, those pitch numbers are too low, (laughs) but I would just, I would forget even small successes Um, and I would forget that I had already done something and I would would be really worried that I hadn't done that yet and I needed to do that and and, and you just got to back away.
1: And then, and keep, Mm -hmm. keep
2: going and then keep going. Yeah,
1: it is because, yeah, it is interesting about the novel because you said that there's, it's not like the short story and what it, what it um, requires of you. Like, it doesn't have to be sort of, I don't want to, okay, it is hard to talk about the differences, because it's, I was going to say tight as a short story, but it's not that, but the novel, like, there can be, there are some novels where there are doors left open. Yeah. You know, as a reader, when you get to the end, you're like, huh, and it's okay, because a lot, like, whatever the main drive of the story is, Yeah. but it sounds like that's still some of what you were thinking of, is, like, there can't, these pieces, even in how you outlined it.
2: Yeah, it's just, I think that, um, I think of a A short story as having mm, fewer edges, and the edges are very crisp. The edges are perfect and straight and crisp, but maybe there are fewer of them. Maybe it's a cube, and with a novel you're dealing with something that's a many, 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 many many-sided figure, and those edges do need to be crisp, but there are so many of them that you have to give yourself a little bit of a break, I think, to step back and look at it as a whole object.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And that does seem to require multiple drafts, too. Yeah. Stepping back.
2: I think Unbecoming went through probably seven.
1: Let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Today on the program, Rebecca Sherm is here. You've Got Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. The novel on the table is Unbecoming. We'll be right back.
0: Rebecca Sherm will be appearing live and in person this evening at 7 PM at Literati Bookstore on Washington Street in downtown Ann Arbor. Uh, This interview was taped last January. Other dates are mentioned, but uh, the the straight dope is that Rebecca Sherm will be here uh, this evening in Ann Arbor. Thank you for listening.
4: good versions of me I find good things and bad versions of me I don't know it's just versions of me babe. I'm in a nightmare having a dream I got a question am I who I see oh I'm at the matrix from battling me I'm just an all black shadow in me something undefined is now taking over me who am I to fight me for my own soul? I'm saying yes to things that usually no you know for me. I kiss a neon night and let it have control. I do bad things, the good versions of me. I find good things and bad versions of me. I don't know. It's just versions of me, do i feel so free when i'm killing me i'm falling to the sky caught between all the lines i'm in a nightmare having a dream i got a question am i who i see oh
1: i'm at the matrix from battling me You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Rebecca Sherm is here in the studio with her novel, Unbecoming. Soon, you can have your copy of Unbecoming in your hands um, when you go to Literati on January 27th. Um, And a shout out to Hillary and Mike and John and uh, Russ and... and... Yeah. (laughs) Hey,
0: everybody. Uh, Once again, uh, the appearance by Rebecca Sherm is not January 27th, but it is this evening... Uh, January 6th, at Literati Bookstore on Washington Street in downtown Ann Arbor.
2: Hey. Hey, friends. They've been, they've been so great to me. Um, and Hillary and Mike were giving me advice um, but months ago when I was going to sort of my first trade shows and um, helping me out with how I described my book to other booksellers. I mean, they've just, they've been incredible. Um, and I've known John and Russ um, at Literati, of course, through the MFA program here, and um, It's just a,
1: it's a store full of friends. I love that place. So it's just, again, it's going to be a great night, January 27th and and for your book launch and everyone, you know, feel welcome to go. Yes, I would love to see you all there. Yes. This is going to, and it's going to be one of, well, it's upstairs now, the readings at Literati. So you'll be able to, there'll be windows. You can look out over the city street. It's a
2: beautiful space.
1: Have some coffee. Yeah. From
2: outside, it just, it looks magical the way that it's lit up inside it's lovely
1: and you'll be lit up inside (laughs) yeah so that's and and that's january 27th everyone um so at the beginning of the show when we started talking i said and that title it's so great can you tell us a little bit about Um, how you found this
2: the right title the right title well you in the in the early drafts it was called we knew better Um, and that's, that's when it was sort of more in the first person. And I went through lots of different drafts and I would be really, um, I, I was never satisfied with any of my, with any of the titles. Um, none of them were quite right. None of them had the right mood. And then for a long time I got stuck on, um, you can have it after, which is, which is not the right reference. Um, I mean, it's, it's the right reference, but it's not the right feeling, um, which is after the Philip Levine poem you can have it um and that poem was the whole inspiration for the character of Alls um i uh oh that's wonderful yeah and um i so i really wanted to name it i really wanted to name it you can have it i liked how it sounded sort of um uh, prickly, um but uh, as others pointed out, it sounds a little defeatist, which the book which the book isn't. I think it sounds a little uh, I don't know, dust off your shoulder, and I like that, yeah, yeah, but um it didn't have the right you sort of need the reference, you need that Philip Levine poem for it to
1: for but, to th- make but sense. there isn't an epigram,
2: is yeah. there? no Rebecca, but I is have was... um Grace and alls encounter that poem together so but okay because I was okay. Yes. And that's, uh, and that's how I brought it in. That's how I brought it into the book. Um, and, uh, and then Unbecoming, uh, my husband came up with that. Um, we were sitting there thinking of all these, ter- of all these terrible titles and man, I thought of some real doozies, like really the worst. <laughs> they all sounded like horror movies. Um, but sometimes that's the best to do. I, yeah, yeah. I Wait, mean, can you remember some of the doozies? Oh God! I mean, there's there's something about just like stairs and dark houses and uh, <laughs> it was just bum bum. Yeah, it was all it was all very spooky. It was really bad. <laughs> Um and then we one of my friends and I kept coming up with like these gilded puns that were just terrible and like guilt guilt puns. Right, right. Um it's just really corny. Um
1: But when he, your husband said unbecoming oh, it yeah. just it just I mean, it
2: was I mean it was, it's like he sprang up out of his chair and he's like, Unbecoming. Unbecoming. It means everything. It, it means everything. And that was that was it. That was it. It was perfect. Yes. Yeah.
1: I really love the title. And I think especially when you were saying about what you wanted for grace yeah. in this, because, you know, I feel like with that, I've heard, oh, don't do that. That's so unbecoming mm-hmm. or, you know, like these the different voices that and then this idea of does everyone have to be have the same redemption story right. and who are right. you becoming? And oh, so it's just, yeah, this wonderful yeah
2: yeah Um, i i i love that about it and i love i love the way that it sets up the reader to receive the book um this is an unbecoming character and this is a book about unbecoming and i think that if you you know if you take a second to let the title sort of sink in that you know what you're in for consider
1: yourself warned yeah (laughs) exactly exactly well, then I, I just can wish you many interesting conversations ahead with people about this. I'm looking and, forward to it. Um, and exciting to know that you've got another project underway already.
2: Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with this one. I mean, in some ways, the next project, um, when I describe it to people, it sounds really different. But it's not. Unbecoming um, deals with a lot of sort of familiar tropes, the heist novel and suspense novels and very familiar images that we have from Hitchcock and Patricia Highsmith, um, but trying to examine them in a very different way and look at them from a different lens. And you could say that about my next project, that it's um, it's looking at genres instead of through genres, I guess. It's having some sort of conversation with those. But it's still about... The lies that people tell themselves, and the links that they will go to become who they wish they could be. Um, maybe those are and and parents and their children and family envy, and those might be themes that I'm working that I'm working on in my fiction all my life. Um, I'm certainly not done with them.
1: No, no. <laughs> so and it's and in relationship, yeah, like how. Hmm. Well, that sounds that sounds very intriguing too. So yeah, we'll just have to stay tuned yeah. for that. And so you so this so Literati is also the beginning um, of the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where are some of the other stops? In case we've got any listeners out on there on the, uh,
2: on the on the twenty seventh, I'm at Literati in Ann Arbor. On the twenty eighth, I'm at Common Good Books in Minneapolis. Um, and from there, I go to Albuquerque, and then uh Scottsdale and then Los Angeles and then Houston and then New York yeah um and then I have and then I'll be in Dallas in April for something with the Dallas Art Museum, but that's later on. Oh, and that sounds
1: wonderful too at the art yeah. museum. Oh, it's going to be really cool. What would be? The, what is the intersection with unbecoming? Because of the heist itself, aren't they oh. worried to let you in the
2: building? <laughs> yeah, or, <laughs> they should watch me closely. <laughs> right.
1: The third novel. Yeah, or is it a more like a me- the, the first memoir? memoir.
2: <laughs> <laughs> on my on my book tour, I start stealing from from all the museums where they let me They'll read. Never
1: suspected. <laughs>
2: That's a good story.
1: It's been a long-term plan, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm
1: playing the long game. <laughs> the long oh, con. Well, I hope you are. I mean, it just it was it's I feel like um I could have uh, if you could have just read the whole book and I would have been so happy to sit here and oh, let's so
2: thank you so much. So, I hope all my interviews are as fun as this one was. I can't yeah, this was great. Oh, well, you will be
1: you'll be bringing it. So I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. Thank you. So um when you're thinking about um because you've kind of given a little bit of uh I don't mean this to song cheesy, but like mm-hmm. this advice like like about things for people writing their first novels, mm-hmm. like moving from the short story and picturing like the the writers out there. Is there anything that you feel like you do wish that someone had said to you about like these years well unbecoming i
2: had so much good advice there's nothing i wish that someone had told me because people told me so many wonderful things and one of the best pieces of advice that i got um was from peter ho davies here um and he told uh he told a group of us don't try to write your second book just write your first book I think there's this idea that if you've never written a novel before, that this novel has to be everything to you. It has to do everything and answer every question that you've ever asked. Um, and he was just sort of saying, it's a long it's a long writing life. Let's take this one book at a time. And that gave me incredible permission to let Unbecoming be exactly the book that it needed to be. And it's not packed and padded with every concern I've ever had. Um, it's very clear in its interests. And, and I think that that's in large part because of that wonderful advice.
1: And when you heard it, did it did it res- kind of resonate with you at yes, the time? And I felt relieved.
2: Just... I felt this great. I felt I felt tremendously relieved to hear him say that. Um, I knew right away. I knew right away what it meant and what it had given me permission to do.
1: And was that even something that um, was that before or after the um, the Laurie Moore like oh way after right? okay that's right. I was okay. we were deep. already well into the novel. At that I was point. well into the
2: novel, um, and I knew. I knew that it was about a lot more things than I originally thought, and was sort of feeling overwhelmed at the idea that, oh my God, what if it's about everything? <laughs>
1: right, right.
2: Well, because what if you're cre- I never finish this because <laughs> it's about
1: everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbecoming, War and <Yeah>. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> Anna Corona elf yeah. Sort of wrapped right, up. Brothers right. Council. Right. Right. Yeah. So one book. One book at a one time. One book at a time. Yeah. And then, you and then you can see what it can be, and then you see what's next, which yeah. is what's happening.
2: Yeah. Um, and it gives you that, that, I think, thinking that way gives you room to have more ideas along the way and to pursue them. And you're not living and dying by how, we, how your writing went that day, which is, you know, the curse of all writers and the thing we're always trying to escape. Um, that was really, really good advice. I got a lot of good advice. Um, just keep going. Don't look back at at what you wrote yesterday or the day before. If you need to um, select all in your document and turn all of the type white so that you can't see it and then just type forward and you can't even see what you're writing, I do that sometimes. Because I just can't even stand to look at the words because they're not perfect. And so if if I turn them white and I can't see them, I can keep going without being faced with them. And that's gotten me through a lot of tough spots.
1: And it's gotten you... You've got Unbecoming now, your <laughs> debut novel. Thank yeah. you so much, Rebecca Sherm. Thank you, T. For talking with me today. Come Thank back you. anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much. You've been listening, everyone, to Living Writers. Thanks again to Text for Engineering. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
0: Rebecca Sherm will be appearing live this evening at Literati Bookstore on Washington Street in downtown Ann Arbor. Yeah.
3: Surprise,
4: surprise. WCBN FM, Ann Arbor is non-stop Alternative radio network.
1: No I ain't gonna go for nothing like that. I'll plug out then what's gonna be We are the ones that been waking up the world. You don't want me to go to sleep. Pull the plug
4: out of you and you'll be dead. I got a computer at home that's mean oh, that was invented back in 1930 something. You know the piano roll, you scared that how oh, Saturday morning at 9am WCBN presents American Vernacular a program dedicated to original performances
0: of homemade music. From the parlors kitchens and backyards in communities across the country, displaying an incredible variety of regional styles vocal and instrumental sacred and secular songs and tunes from quadrilles and waltzes
4: to quick steps and cakewalks, blues, ballads, breakdowns and reels. Join us Saturday mornings at 9am on WCBN. Back about it: when you hear a good old-time piece on the bed, like "Sawtooth Mountain," or special takes the snap. Takes the handoff to Smith, rolling to his right. Still looking for a receiver. Break through tackle and he's got a steep. Down the sideline. Touchdown, Michigan. Gardner takes the shotgun snap. Looks to his right and connect. Reaching for the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan. Amara Darba. Gardner takes the handoff to Smith. Looking. Firing. Jake Butt. One-handed catch! He caught it! Unbelievable catch!
3: Hey, hey, yeah. Hey, hey, yeah. Good afternoon and welcome to the Daily Sport Report. I'm David Carlson. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor 88.3. On the dial on the other side of the glass, I have Alec and Leo Blavin. How are you boys doing today? Uh, it's good, it's colder,
4: colder now than what I remember before winter break, but... yeah,
3: much colder, good to be back though, yep, this is our one you know the our first week of shows um on the daily sport report, and, and uh, um might guys, I going to say arguably the best week of
4: twenty sixteen so far for our sports department the best, the worst, got any more adjectives the best,
3: the best, yeah, all the right,
4: finest. guys, so what is,
3: it's Wolverine Wednesday, I'm filling in for um for zach shaw for, for one reason or another um the man the myth the legend cannot be in the host seat uh this afternoon so we'll talk about um a couple of key wolverines that have had um, big weeks um in the past i guess over break we can start with we'll start uh you guys want to